Okay, hello everybody. Welcome to the show. Uh, welcome to the Tomorrow's World live webcast on Facebook. Uh, Wyatt Saselka here, joined by my friends and fellow ministers, Mr. Dexter Wakefield and Mr. Ken Frank. Uh, Mr. Wakefield and Mr. Frank are both ministers with the church. Mr. Wakefield helps with business operations and a number of other things. And Mr. Frank is one of our uh, university professors for Living University. So thank you both for joining us today. And hello to all of you out there uh, on the internet and on Facebook. <clears throat> Before we get started, we're going to jump into the topics here in just a couple seconds. I do want to thank you for joining us and also ask you to please uh, share this Facebook stream with your friends. So go ahead and please click share. Make sure your friends know about the show. Interesting show today. A lot of topics. Topic number one, Stephen Hawking. We all have heard of who Stephen Hawking is. And he just, quote unquote, moved up humanity's deadline for escaping the earth. And I do applaud him for thinking about, uh, you know, the future of, of, of humanity. <clears throat> There's a Washington Post article. And uh, I'll just read a little bit, a couple of the quotes from it. Uh, it says, now Hawking, the renowned theoretical physicist turned apocalypse warning system, is back with a revised deadline. Uh, there's a new documentary, uh, interestingly enough, on the BBC called Tomorrow's World, mm -hmm. which is, of course, uh, the name of our show, has been for a long time. And uh, in generally, just to wrap up the, 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 the comment, uh, Mr. Hawking, Dr. Hawking says that, look, we don't have a thousand years to figure this out. We've probably got less than a hundred years for humanity to figure out how to save itself. And essentially, if we don't get in, uh, you know, spaceships and start colonizing, beginning with our solar system and then beyond that, that we're, we're doomed. So I wanted to start with that. Uh, do we need to uh, escape the earth uh, to save humanity? I wanted to begin with that question. Yeah. I think all of us like to leave the planet from time to time, but uh, you know we talk about the uh, the great tribulation that's coming, but that's a short period of time, three and a half years. After then, there's a great period of of restoration of the earth. So I would say that it may seem like humanity will need to leave the earth, and some people may want to during that period of time, but uh, after that, they won't have to. And that's a great hope that we like to preach. It's called the gospel of the kingdom of God. Yeah, and that's I, I absolutely agree. The the good news is that Jesus Christ will return. God has a plan, and we don't have to necessarily save ourselves. Mr. Frank, did you want to add to that? Yes, I, I find it interesting that it seems to be something in humanity, this desire to go out and colonize space and to perpetuate himself for eternity. And it's sad that we would cons consider this, that our planet is in such sad shape that we have to go elsewhere. It's interesting that in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says God has put eternity in our hearts. Mm -hmm. We want to live for eternity, it seems. It's, it's built in. The problem is humanity does not want to do it the right way. Does not want to submit to God to receive eternal life his way. We have a, a really interesting article uh, on the subject, Your Ultimate Destiny. Your Ultimate Destiny. And uh, you're, you're, you're absolutely right, Mr. Frank. Uh, mankind... Uh, we like to explore. Uh, we also obviously want to preserve, you know, the, the human race. And um, <clears throat> there are things we need to do today uh, as human beings, uh, both spiritually, most importantly, but also, of course, you know, physically, we should be caretakers of the earth. Uh, God doesn't want us to trash the planet. Um, but God has a plan, mm -hmm. and that is the good news. Mm -hmm. That is the good news. Mm -hmm. 
Very much so. You know, uh, this, this thing of going out 100 years from now and flying off out into space and flying a whole new planet, and what are we going to do there? We're going to have another war, we're going to mess that one up just like we did this one. So I think maybe we ought to get it right here. I agree. One of the greatest natural disasters on this planet was the flood in the time of Noah. Mm -hmm. And after that flood, God made a promise in which he said in Genesis, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. Mm -hmm. So God has a plan for humanity to work it out here, not yet into outer space. And even the New Testament talks about <coughs> restoring the earth. So I think that's an important feature too. Absolutely. And, you know, one of you touched on it earlier, uh, or you made a comment that made me think of this. Um, you know, what's one of the biggest problems that humanity is dealing with? It's, it's the evil, you know, heart and, and thinking that we, we often allow ourselves to, uh, you know, to, to behave in, 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 in an evil way. Uh, you know, what does Jeremiah say? That, that the heart is desperately wicked, it's deceitful. And so if we hop on spaceships and we go colonize, that's not going to solve our problem because we're going to take our strife and our, you know, our, our anger and our wrath with us and our jealousies with us. Uh, that won't solve the problem. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, we were, I was talking about the tribulation earlier, and sometimes we focus on that a good bit because it's necessary for us to speak these things to the world as a witness and a warning of what's coming. But that's not the central message of the gospel of the kingdom of God. But if anyone is interested in seeing the actual sequence of events of the tribulation and the day of the Lord, this is a great book. It lays it out in detail and explains how Revelation uh, lays this out, and we can understand it much better. I would recommend it to anyone who wants to learn more about this subject. Many of you uh, who are watching know this, but uh, all of our literature is free. Uh, you can go to our website, tomorrowsworld.org, and you can request any literature that you, you want from us. Uh, Jesus Christ said, freely you've received and freely give. And uh, that's what God's, uh, God's church does. So anything we reference today, just go to tomorrowsworld.org and you can read it online or you can uh, request it in print as well. And also we have, of course, our Tomorrow's World magazine that you can subscribe to. So hello to people from India, South Africa, British Columbia, Belgium, a lot of people joining us. Let's, mm. let's move on. Um, is it okay if I go to the next question? Yeah, We've got a lot sure. today. Mm. <clears throat> so... Today's theme is sort of natural disasters and, and uh, man-made disasters and weather, things like that. And there's a, uh, a news article that caught our attention. Uh, a massive lake of molten carbon the size of Mexico was just discovered under the U.S. Uh, this is from a Forbes article, April 30th. And uh, uh, the article makes a, a number of comments. It, it, it mentions that this molten carbonite, it sits beneath Yellowstone National Park. Now, we've known about the Great Caldera for a long time, but I think we're learning a little more. And uh, it, the Forbes article mentions that the last eruption was 640,000 years ago, and essentially it's kind of due for another eruption. But this uh, massive lake of molten carbon was sort of the new you know, thing that the geologists were starting to figure out. Um, you know, I'd like to throw that on the table for discussion, but I, to, 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 to begin that, that conversation, do we have to fear that? Hmm. Do we have to fear that? You know, I've been to Yellowstone, and you, if you go out there, you'll see Old Faithful, you'll see geysers of steam, pools of boiling water and things like that. And that's because it's blazing hot. There's 
some sort of molten activity or something way down below there. Our uh, viewers may not know what a caldera is, but it's a, a huge, um, it may be small, but in the case of Yellowstone, it is a massive, um, uh, really sort of cup or a cauldron, a, a pot. Underneath it sits a great deal of uh, magma or, or molten lava, in that case mostly silica down there. And it's very difficult for it to work its way up. And it tends to blow off when that type of, uh, of um, uh, magma tends to do that. So there's a possibility, and it may be, even be overdue, for something to happen there. And if it did, it would be a massive explosion there. And there's another caldera in Italy. Mm -hmm. uh, that we have an article on as well. Won't uh, won't read the article, but it, it's saying it, it might be overdue. Yeah. And uh, so I think yeah, we you know there are uh, weather disasters, natural disasters that uh, that do and can occur. And um, you know I what I, I think we have to pray every morning that God will protect us and our loved ones. Mm -hmm. But we also have to understand that God. Well, question. So does God cause every volcanic eruption? Does God cause it all? You know, um, you know, we, we had Hurricane Katrina. Later in the show, we're going to talk about some other other uh, typhoons and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, so to, before we move on, you know, we're still talking about the caldera. If it blows up uh, next month or two years from now, uh, did God cause it? Go ahead, Mr. Frank. Thank you. That is a question that troubles many, many people around the world, excuse me, um, because it seems that God would not be caring when he allows such natural disasters to occur like that. Certainly these are natural forces that are part of Earth science that create the volcanoes, but behind them all is the God who controls them. And would he allow them to go off at certain times for his own purpose? I think that is the intention and teaching of the Bible. I remember the St. Helens volcano, and this article compares this, that if it erupted, it would be a thousand times more powerful than the 1980 St. Helens eruption. And I can remember, I was living in Brandon, Manitoba at the time, and we didn't hear the explosion, which was in Washington, but within a couple days, our sky was filled with the dust, the volcanic dust from that explosion. And it settled on windowsills, and I even collected some and put it into a little bottle, and I still have a sample mm -hmm. that around the house yet. Mm -hmm. I can remember walking my dog and it was getting into our nostrils, even breathing. And we were hundreds of miles away. Imagine if you were underneath when it went off. Yeah. It's going to be an extraordinary catastrophe if that does happen. I do think time and <coughs> chance happens. The Bible mm -hmm. says that time and chance does happen. But in the end time, that three and a half years, and the Great Tribulation, when we read such things as um, the, the, the earth shaking violently and things like that, when, I think we can expect to see these things that are being um, caused supernaturally to occur then. And there will be great devastation uh, to the earth. But, of course, the good news is uh, God's going to clean it up. He's going to um, uh, cause mankind, bring mankind to repentance. And then through all of this, he's going to institute the kingdom of God with the coming of Jesus Christ. So, you know, we know from Revelation chapter 6, talks about the, uh, the Great Tribulation and I think the, the sixth seal in Revelation 6, around verse 12, I'm not looking at it, and talks about uh, a great earthquake and, uh, you know, the sun will become uh, black and, and, and so forth. The, the, the light will not shine. So there will come a time when God will intervene supernaturally at the end of the age and, and bring earthquakes and uh, 
you know, all kinds of natural or well, supernatural disasters is what they would really be. Uh, but, but when that happens, that will be for a purpose, and it will be God uh, getting the attention of, frankly, people that by that point are, are embroiled in World War III. Mm-hmm. And and God's not the one that's uh, making us head towards getting embroiled in World War Three. Uh, mankind's doing that because mankind, frankly, uh, you know, has strife and and hatred towards each other and so forth. And and so we're heading in, in that direction. Uh, so I, I agree with, uh, of course, everything you gentlemen said. But Mr. Wakefield mentioned it would be a great tragedy if it, if 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 that caldera would blow. Uh, maybe it maybe it will. Maybe it won't before the end of the age. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, um, this is just some of the scriptures that are that are here. Um, the foundations of the earth do shake. This is from Isaiah uh, 24. The earth shall reel to and forth like a drunkard. Um, such things uh, as that. So we're going to see the earth literally shaking. Sometimes when you want to get someone's attention, you can shake them a little bit. Well, he's going to shake the whole earth and get mankind's attention. And shortly after that, Jesus Christ returns. Yes, we have a verse here in, from Isaiah 29.6 as well. You will be punished by the Lord of hosts with thunder and earthquake and great noise, with storm and tempest and the flame of devouring fire. So God will use these natural uh, wonders and disasters uh, only at the point uh, when mankind's about to destroy himself. And yet God has been appealing to humanity for thousands of years through his word to turn around and come back. And it seems that this is what it takes to wake the remnant of mankind up. And that's tragic. Mm -hmm. But we're trying to preach the good news to allow people to understand that they don't have to go through that if they will turn to God. Mm -hmm. Uh, Deuteronomy 28 is a uh, passage that we all know. Deuteronomy 28 is a a passage, a chapter that maybe, I'm not going to read from it, but that um, maybe some of our audience would want to look at. And it talks about, how God, you know, because of sin, God will has in the past and will in the future uh, correct people because of their their rebelliousness. Uh, you talked about we've all made comments about God wanting people to, to change, and Second Chronicles uh, verse chapter six. I want to read uh, just one of many scriptures we could turn to. Uh, it's talking about in Second Chronicles six verse twenty six. Uh, when the heavens are shut up and there's no rain because they have sinned against you. So sometimes God does uh, allow or cause uh, something to happen because of sin. But if you notice, you know, is he a harsh God who does this just out of capriciousness? No. Uh, if you continue in Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 26, 27, um, it says, uh, when they pray toward this place and confess your name, so after they've been punished by the, the, the weather disaster and turn from their sin because you afflict them, uh, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants. And it goes on and talks about that. And it talks about um, God teaching them the good way in which they should walk, the good way. And, uh, you know, that way of life is what we talk about as, as God's ministers, mm-hmm. that there's a good way to walk. And, you know, I think if, uh, if all of uh, humanity would repent uh, that's a big if, uh, then I think God is, we, Scripture reveals he's loving, and I don't think he would bring all the, uh, the correction upon us. But if, if, if all of humanity is not willing to repent, then, then that correction will come. We have to learn that God is sovereign, that he's in control of this universe and of our planet, and we owe homage and uh, reverence to him. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but he will work with people and try to bring them back, and he'll use whatever measure is necessary to save them. And even such things as this, but God's purpose, yes, is to cause people to come back to him because he's a loving father, but yet he has to use discipline at times to awaken his wayward children. There are a lot of instances in the, in the scriptures where all these things happen. Amos chapter 4 verses 1 to 9 shows that um, God withheld the rain, then he gave the rain. It just shows that he controls the weather. We've got a great yeah. booklet on that. If people would like to see it, perhaps you can uh, show them that. Elijah uh, prayed for and received uh, three years or so of, of drought. God intervenes for the weather. And um, it's, it's important that we understand that he can do that, but he does it for the benefit of those to get their attention and to bring people to the, to the uh, repentance that, that they need to. That was done many times in ancient Israel. And I suppose he's going to get around that, to that in the, in the earth today. There's uh, some weather uh, disaster research that we put together for the show. <clears throat> people will often talk about Hurricane Katrina, terrible uh, terrible hurricane. I know that you, Mr. Wakefield, have been through at least one or two hurricanes, so more, three, four. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and uh, I want to hear a little bit about that, but just to put things in context, and, and then I, I want to talk about you know, your experiences. Uh, you know, Hurricane Katrina was terrible, but uh, USA Today just came out with an article uh, today. It actually came out a few hours ago. And uh, the United Nations put together some compiled research about the worst you know, natural disasters and uh, one of the worst, or actually, one, I guess one of the worst cyclones was in 1970. Now, before I tell you how many people were killed in 1970 in that, in that, that typhoon, that, that cyclone, that, that hurricane, um, I, I'd like to remind us that although Hurricane Katrina was terrible, and it, it's, it, uh, it's escaping my eye right now, uh, the number of people who were killed, I believe it was in the uh, 2000 range, 2000 mm -hmm. people range, which yes. was, mm -hmm. you know, terrible, horrible. Terrible. But in 1970, a tropical storm uh, hit East Pakistan, which is now you know Bangladesh, and uh, killed over. Let me find it here: right three hundred thousand people. Mm -hmm. Three hundred thousand. You know, so who controls the weather? Now, did God send that? Well, maybe He didn't. You know, but but can God send? Absolutely. And you go back to Revelation chapter yeah. six; it talks about that. Um, you've been through, what, three, how many hurricanes did you say? Oh, I, I lost count a long time ago. <laughs> and the viewers might be interested to know that I've lived in South Florida for 40 years before moving up here and had um, my pastorate down there, which you took over mm -hmm. um, when I came back up here to, uh, uh, to Charlotte. But we had many hurricanes. I was in uh, the eye of two, Hurricane David, and in uh, the eye of um, Hurricane uh, I, um, Irene but on the edge of many of them. One of the big things you have to remember about these hurricanes is that when they um, come through, if they go through a heavily populated area like the one you just talked to, now our cities, our metropolitan areas are expanding vastly, like you know, very dense populations in these areas. When they get a storm going through there, it is just terrific, horrific as to what happens. With the case of Hurricane Andrew, we were on the northern edge of that up where we lived in the West Palm Beach area. But the hurricane turned and went south of Miami through Homestead and southern Miami, that, that area there. <clears throat> if it had come through Miami proper or up through Fort Lauderdale, the damage would have been many, many times greater. 
Mm-hmm. But that hurricane was a Category 4, Category 5. It's been around a little bit as to which category it went up to. I think many people believe at its worst it was a Category 5 hurricane. Think tumbling automobiles. Right. That's what the thing does. And we took a, uh, a, a, a group of cars, uh, sort of a convoy down there loaded with food and everything for our friends and our church members. We literally had to cut our way into some of the neighborhoods there. It was as if there was a rolling artillery barrage went through that area. So just one of these storms can have tremendous impact where they hit. That was a very compact storm, Andrew. But if a large one hits a major metro area, just as you were pointing out, the devastation can be tremendous. I grew up in New Jersey, and even there we had hurricanes that would come up the coast. And it would do devastation as well, but certainly nothing like what you went through. And then we lived in Virginia for a time, and we had some hurricanes at, in there as well. And, and many trees came down in our neighborhood during that time. Hmm. And it is, it, it is a humbling experience to go through such a severe storm as a hurricane. Yeah. We, uh, there was a terrible couple of years there in South Florida where we had so many of these storms. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... In one two-year period, I think we had three go right over my area, over either in the donut, the worst portion of it, or also in uh, in the actual eye itself. So uh, my house was able to withstand it up to a Category 3, and it was made to do that. But if you get above that, you've got to evacuate the area because structures are going to be torn down. No matter how strong your house is, uh, when you get up to these large hurricanes, there's going to be very uh, heavy damage. But I'll tell you a story. Yeah. You can tolerate (laughs) one. This was probably back in 1978, 79. I was living in a high-rise apartment. This was a long time ago. I'm an old guy, so you can appreciate that. But Hurricane David came through, and the eye of the hurricane passed right over where we were living. And uh, first the wind blew very hard in one area, just from one direction. And then the eye came, maybe a half hour, and it was clear, stopped. Uh, but you could see, if you looked out uh, well to the south, you could see this gray wall coming up. That was the southern wall of the hurricane. Then when it, the wall hit, the wind direction reversed. Mm-hmm. And the, the scriptures talk about the roaring of the seas and everything. There's a great roar in the worst part of a hurricane. It roars. It sounds like trains going mm-hmm. by. They're terrifying things. And I think that type of storm and worse, you know, may hit the world and, you know, in the not too distant future. I want to welcome everybody who's uh, watching online uh, on Facebook. I want to thank Mr. Wakefield and Mr. Frank for joining us, talking about weather disasters, natural disasters. And, uh, and we need to remember that, as you said, Mr. Frank, you know, the world has to learn that God's sovereign, God reigns supreme. And it's Amos, uh, what is it, uh, I've got a, 4 verse 7 talks about how God can withhold rain from one area and send it to another area. So God does control the weather. And does he send every hurricane? Not necessarily, but he controls the weather. And so we don't really need to fear the weather. We need to be aware. Uh, Mr. Wakefield's lived through some some hurricanes, and um, I, I haven't. Uh, some strong storms, but nothing like what you've been through. And, and it, it's it's normal to be afraid, but really... If God is real to us and we get on our knees, uh, and if God's real and we pray to him, then God is supreme. He's sovereign. He can protect us. 
But God does sometimes use weather to get people's attention. And again, Revelation chapter 6 talks about earthquakes and, and uh, the, the sky will be turn uh, dark and so forth. And we know that uh, we are approaching a time where God's going to start to get the earth's attention more and more. And I think that's something I want to talk about a little bit now because you know, we, we've, we've seen a lot of reports about the oceans, the, stat, the state of the oceans, the fish, stocks are plummeting and so forth. And a lot of times people will just say, well, that's just, uh, you know, human caused. And maybe a lot of it is. Maybe a lot of it is caused by overfishing. There is, there is definitely overfishing. We have not been good stewards of the, of the land that God gave us. Now, let me read um, a little bit uh, about that. But not, but not all of it is just is just you know, because of natural, natural, uh, uh, you know, consequence. So, uh, so here's, a, here's an article from the Boston Globe, and I'll just read the introduction. It came out um, recently. Once upon a time, the seas teemed with mackerel, squids, and sardines, and life was good. But now on opposite sides of the globe, uh, fishermen lament as they reel in near-empty nets. Uh, so there's a quote from a gentleman here, fisherman. He says, your net would be so full of fish, you could barely heave it onto the boat. Now, this sounds, you know, it, there's a danger of this sounding like, well, this is just people talking about the old days, the, the, the good old days, you know. Um, but scientifically, it's not true that, uh, that the oceans, you know, that the stock levels have always been this low. Scientifically, we know that there, there were more fish in the, in the sea available in prior decades. And so without getting into all the science, uh, you can look it up on the internet, <clears throat> this article makes a statement that overfishing is depleting the oceans across the globe by about 90% or in about 90% of the world's fisheries and that they, they face collapse. So about 90% of the world's fisheries face collapse. Now, I don't know if some Times people don't understand how much we're dependent on the sea and fish. Uh, even if you don't go eat a fish dinner, uh, fish is a protein that's that's used, you know, in other types of, of food uh, production. <clears throat> so we've got that. We've got the bees dying. We'll talk about that maybe later. Uh, what does the future hold? I want to kind of turn the corner on the conversation a little bit. What does the future hold? Are there prophecies? Not to put anybody on the spot, but what does the future hold? regarding the, the oceans, the weather, things of that nature. Hmm. One of the things that Mr. Wakefield mentioned earlier is that God appointed mankind to be a steward of his planet. And when you read Genesis 2.15, God put mankind in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the idea behind the Greek word for, sorry, the Hebrew word for tend is to preserve. And we have done a very poor job of caring for the resources and the creatures of this planet. And the current fishing is unsustainable. Uh, this is not going to go on. But for the future, yes, God's going to have to replenish the oceans, I think. Now, it can be done. Uh, some countries stopped fishing off of Newfoundland years ago because of the cod fisheries had collapsed. And the last I heard, the cod is coming back to some extent. But it's taken generations to get to that point again. So, or at least many years. So, yes, it can be reversed, but we have to learn what can we properly take from the ocean while also 
replenishing it or keeping an eye on the stocks, enjoying the fish that God has given us to eat, but not overfishing. I will say I love fish. So um, I may be uh, one of the people that are responsible for eating eat too much yeah. fish. <laughs> I, will, I, I would love to do that. I used to like to fish some down in Florida, mm -hmm. too, when I had a chance. And there's definitely fewer fish than there used to be particularly reef fish. They're just overfishing just by local fishermen mm -hmm. in a lot of areas like that. But the big culprit is industrial fishing. That's where they hold whole fleets yeah. of nets. Trawlers. Of nets that stretch for miles and miles. And, and that just cleans out massive, yeah. massive amounts of fish. So once you get the stocks down to a certain area, they talk about the collapse of it. They just don't have the ability to reproduce and uh, the, the fishing stocks could very well collapse. I might mention that there is Bible prophecy regarding this in that the, um, uh, a huge number of, of amount of the oceans and the fish in the oceans are going to die in this terrible period. Uh, period. The um, seas turn to blood and all of these things are going to happen. But God says that he is going to restore all of these things. Waters will flow out of Zion and these things are going to cleanse and purify the earth. So uh, I think... Maybe what God is going to say to them, oh, you, you like to mess up the, the oceans? All right, well, here, I'll, we'll show you what it's really like, what you're headed for and what you're going to do before he corrects it and, and fix it. There's a lot of the things that will happen there will be really physical pictures of what mankind is doing to the earth. Uh, you know, we got a question on Facebook. Somebody was asking, um, just, just now the question came in, you know, 10 minutes ago, and they were basically asking, well, you know, what are some Old Testament prophecies that, you know, that, that are going to come to pass still and so forth? And we've touched on a couple. One that comes to mind is Amos 9.13, which is very relevant to this conversation right now, because Amos 9.13 says that the day, days are coming when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the, uh, the, the treader of grapes will, um, will uh, overtake him who sows seed and the mountains will drip with, with wine. And what you have here is a picture of sustainability. Mm -hmm. You have a picture of blessings of abundance, but also sustainability. And for those out in the audience who maybe aren't fully uh, aware of, of what the Bible teaches and what we teach about the coming kingdom of God, I encourage you to hop on our website and type in words like millennium and kingdom of God. And I'd like some comments from you men, but, but one comment I want to make, you know, without getting into a, a sermon about it, is that the world is able to sustain the population if one thing is learned, and that is submitting to God's government, God's way, God's law. God's law is not uh, greed. God's law is not to destroy and deplete the earth. You know, God's way is to take care of the earth, to, to, to tend to the earth. And <clears throat> the, the, the point I want to conclude with is when you look at Amos 9, verse 13, the Bible teaches a thousand-year millennial reign where Jesus Christ will reign on the earth for a thousand years. But during that time, there will be people. There will be humans. So we have a thousand years, and the Bible is very clear. Amos 9.13 is just one of these scriptures that there's going to be abundance. Now, how's that possible? How's that possible? Because the, the, the Bible also talks about the tribulation and, you know, the, the seas turning to blood and just, you know, just a horrible, horrible time of, of, of catastrophic environmental collapse. So how's that possible? And I, I you know, you, you, we know the answer, but, but how's it possible that we're going to get to a point where there's going to be such abundance? Mm -hmm. 
Well, just just to start with your uh, viewer's question, Revelation Unveiled goes into a lot of the things that's going to happen in, in considerable detail. So rather than go into all of that here, uh, this would be a good book for them to request. And as you say, it is free. But um, it's, as you say, righteous laws, righteous ways of doing things. There are agricultural laws in the Bible that if pursued, have a, uh, make uh, all of our farming completely sustainable if they do those things. Uh, we can't go into all of those things on, on today. It would be a complete sermon. But that's what we have to look forward to, that God created this world. He created the plants. He created people. He created the animals. He understands how to do it. He's going to instruct mankind how to go about this. Right now, mankind doesn't know the way to peace, and they don't know the way to support themselves. And they are messing up the earth badly, but he's going to come back and correct it. Exactly right. Uh, when God gave that mandate to take care of the earth, that was before Adam and Eve sinned. Mm -hmm. And when sin entered the world, we have seen this decimation of our planet mm -hmm. out of greed, warfare, and overpopulation thinking that, again, that we can be our own gods and manage our own affairs. So how will it be possible? We have to understand that humanity needs to be cleaned up. And as was mentioned earlier, it begins in the heart. We have to teach people that their problem is a heart problem. Mm -hmm. It's a change in thinking so that they turn to God from the idols that they have served for millennia. So that's the solution, is getting back to the change in the human heart. Mm -hmm. You know, we like to talk about the two trees, the trees of, of knowledge and good and evil. And it seems like the, uh, when mankind did, did that, he took the fruit, he took the knowledge of good and evil to himself and says, I'm going to decide what's right and wrong. Mm -hmm. It's God who decides what's right and wrong. It's called divine law. Mm -hmm. And if you love God, then you love his law and you want to incorporate that in everything that you do. That's something that's going to happen when Christ returns in the world tomorrow. The uh, law will go forth from Zion, the word of God from Jerusalem. And that law is going to go out. And then the world will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That phrase comes right after this wonderful description in Isaiah about the, um, the animals living in peace with one another, about there being peace on, on the earth. Because mankind's finally going to get it right. It won't happen all at once. But as soon as they do this, then God will start blessing it and enable the world to enjoy the peace, prosperity, and um, the full fruition that it's, uh, that it's capable of. I'm glad you mentioned that uh, about God's law because the Hebrew word Torah has to do with instruction. Mm -hmm. And the Apostle John said that the law is not burdensome. So many people view the law as burdensome or a problem. But God's, in the millennium, God's going to insist that his law is enforced because it will bring automatic blessings for all those who inhabit this planet. So again, we have to turn back to God who is going to be the great teacher on how to live, how to manage this planet that he has given us. Good, green, terra firma. Mm. Uh, Romans seven twelve. the law is good. That's right. The law is good. God's law is good. It's not a law that, um, you know, uh, causes us harm. It's a law that, that's a blessing. And uh, I, we need to start wrapping up the show, but Isaiah... 
35 is, is a wonderful script uh, passage. And for the few people out there who, who were asking, well, what about some Old Testament you know, uh, prophecies that will come true? Isaiah 35 is going to come true. Uh, read Isaiah 35. It talks about abundance. It talks about uh, the seas rejoicing and, and the, the mountains rejoicing and, and you know, abundance in, in wildlife and abundance in agriculture. But all of that stems from obedience to God's law. Mm-hmm. And so, um, no, Stephen Hawking, um, we don't have to build a whole bunch of rockets and, uh, and uh, colonize uh, Mars. Um, if we did, we'd just take our troubles with us, I think, is, 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 is the, uh, the, the real problem, the real mm-hmm. lesson that mankind needs to learn. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, we say that God is good, and we say that for a reason. And his law arises from his character, from his very character and his very nature then that means that his law is good. His definition of right and wrong is good. The reason why people don't like it is they don't want to do what he said. And that's why he said, love me, love God, and keep his commandments. That's why if we love him, we'll do that. And, you know, that's not only in the Old Testament. That's expressed thoroughly in in the New Testament as well. God hasn't changed his mind about all of that. And that's something that we have uh, to look forward to. God is also the God of nature. He was trying to teach Israel that he controls the weather. Mm-hmm. And yet Israel was attracted to the gods of the nations that, that were around them. And they were also nature gods. And they tried to mix and blend uh, the true religion with these pagan religions. And God would not have it because he felt that it was a spiritual, adulterous relationship. He was married to Israel. So we have to learn to serve God and God alone. Well, uh, of course, we understand that keeping God, God's law does not give us eternal life. That uh, what we do teach about that is just as you've said, is that uh, we uh, keep God's commandments to repent of breaking them. That's right. And you can't repent of sin and break God's commandments at the same time. And if you think you can, you're deceived. But repentance changes what we're going to do in the future. If you've been taking God's name in vain all your life and you decide to repent of it, then it changes what you're going to say. The trouble is, it can't change what you did. It can't change what you said last week or last month or last year. Only one thing can do that, and that's the sacrifice of Christ. It cleanses us of our sins and takes away the guilt of our sins. And that's the important thing for the church the Church of God to remember and our viewers to remember as well. But uh, we do want to uh, remember the importance of the sacrifice of Christ, but we also want to remember the great gospel that he preached, the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's the gospel as it was believed and taught in the first century, and it's the gospel and the practice that, and the faith that we teach uh, today. The New Testament teaches that God created all things by Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So he is the creator, and they have to come to understand there is one Savior. They need salvation is only offered through him. Mm-hmm. So again, we've come full circle. We're back to the God who created all things. He is the God of nature. He's also the Savior, the one who died for them. Mm-hmm. And, and if it weren't for God's grace, no amount of uh, attempting to keep the law would save us. And if it weren't for God's grace, then really we wouldn't uh, have what we know is in store, which is ultimately Christ will return and save the world from its own self-destruction. We used to talk about mutually assured destruction, mad. Uh, I, you know, I, I remember that as, as a teenager in high school and, 
and uh, you know, mutually assured destruction where the United States and Russia would nuke each other and you know, annihilate the earth. Uh, because of God's grace, because of his willingness to forgive, his wanting to bring his, his family and his children uh, to him uh, in righteousness, in you know, alignment and obedience to his law. But because of that, we actually have something to look forward to, and that is the good news of the coming kingdom of God. Uh, and it's not going to all end in World War III, and, and uh, you know, that's the end. We actually have uh, the good news to look forward to. You know, God saves us individually, but he's also going to save the world the same way, through his grace and his mercy. Christ is coming to do that. And, you know, there are some people that say, well, no, Christ isn't coming, uh, or it's a metaphor that was taught, you know, after, what, the, the fourth and fifth centuries. It was changed to, to mean that. But it's important that people understand the true gospel, the gospel of the kingdom of God. It is a gospel of great hope, of great hope. You know, uh, we were talking about the, um, the, the, the things that happened during this terrible period, during the, the great tribulation. One of the things that happens is darkness. Darkness comes over the whole earth, so dark that people have said they gnaw their tongues for pain. I don't know how that can happen. It could be so dark that people would want to do that. But... One of, the, one of the things he's doing is he's saying, you like darkness? Here's darkness. But he's coming, Christ is coming to bring great light to the world. He's saying, you like blood, you like violence. In the valley outside of Jerusalem, it's going to be up to the depths of horses' bridles there. This is the time that's talked about in Armageddon. That's going to happen as well. You like blood? He's going to give them more than they ever wanted or could imagine. But then he's going to wash all of that away. He's going to wash it all away. So it's um, a, a doctrine of, of great uh, concern that we know what's going to be coming on the earth, but it's also a doctrine of great hope as well. We're going to see a marked contrast between the present world with all of its suffering and the world to come, the wonderful world tomorrow. And mankind will finally come around to understand what he's been missing for these 6,000 years by his own rebelliousness and repent in dust and ashes, it says. But it's going to be a horrible time leading up to it. But such an age of bliss and hope and prosperity is still to come. And so for those who are suffering in today's world, they have the wonderful good news that God's church is preaching to cling to and to look forward to uh, as they struggle in the current time. Yeah, that's very true. You, you can't have freedom of choice and freedom from suffering at the same time. People want to say, why is there so much suffering in, in the world? Well, a good bit of it, of course, mankind brings on himself. And then they make these mistakes and they bring it on other people as well. These are very unjust things that people uh, uh, do to each other. But we also know that Christ is love. God is love. And he, in his love, he's going to bring a much better world and a much better way of life for people. On that note, let's, uh, let's wrap it up, but a positive note and a hopeful note. And that's what Jesus Christ you know, told his disciples in what John 14. He's, he's going to prepare a place for them. And so uh, there are things uh, that we know the world's going to have to endure, but there is the hope of, of, of the kingdom of God and of Christ's return. I want to thank everybody for joining us. Next week's show, uh, we hope to talk about um, Europe and the United States in Bible prophecy. 
a little bit of, uh, you know, what does the Bible say about Europe and the United States? I want to thank you all for joining. I think this was maybe our biggest reach, what I'm looking at as far as the uh, statistics go, maybe our biggest reach yet for the, for the show. So thank you for sharing. Please do uh, tell your friends about the show. Remember, 3 o'clock Thursdays, Eastern Time. Uh, we'll see you next time.